Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. You're listening to part two of our look at To The Manor Born. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you need to go back and check that one out. It was last week. What have you missed? Well, we've already done a deep dive into the career of Penelope Keith, so you don't want to miss that. And we're halfway through talking about the specific episode that we're focusing on, which is Series 1, Episode 5, The Summer Hunt Ball. Will the ball go off without a hitch? Ooh, of course not. That's no recipe for a sitcom. Let's find out what happens, and we'll go straight back in right now. The conflict here is that uh, Audrey's organising everything, she's doing all the work, but then Marjorie is still nominally the organiser and she keeps sticking a neb in, saying, oh no, I want to do this, Mm -hmm. even though she doesn't know what she's doing. And Mm -hmm. basically Audrey walks off in a huff and says, right, well, you do it then. (laughs) See if I care. And she ends up playing Scrabble with her butler instead of going to the ball. She's not been invited to the ball and she's sort of very, well, I wasn't invited, so why should I go? She sent out the invites. So <laughs> not sure quite how that works. <laughs> so she's playing Scrabble with Brebinger. And yeah. uh, by the way, that is a great name for a butler. Brebinger. <laughs> the way she says it is perfect. It could not be better. I don't know how yeah. long he, how long the writer took coming up with that name, but it is, could not be bettered. Uh, yeah, we, we, we demonstrate that even playing Scrabble, she's hard work. She's hard oh, t- she, won't let, she won't let Brabinger get away with anything. And of course, he just lets her get away with everything. So yeah. can we talk about Brabinger? Can we talk about butlers? Yeah. What's that about? Well, well I mean, it's a good job, isn't it? It was, it was, it was you were basically head of the household. Yeah. So you were, you were, you know, governor of all the servants. So you were, you know, the big fish in the downstairs pond. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a good job, and you know, it was it was good job security. It was a job for life, basically. Well, that's it. It feels like indentured servitude to me. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not, well, that that seems like a negative spin on what I just said. Like I'm seeing <laughs> job for life, you're seeing servitude. <laughs> well, you know my professional history. Yeah. <laughs> job yeah. for life is not on my CV. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Brabinger just seems like such a broken man. It's no, he just. Does. Well, I guess I guess he is the end of the process of what would happen if you spent 20 years working for Audrey Forbes Hamilton. 20 years? I mean, 50, I think. Is well, she's like not 50 it. years old, but, but, you know, you probably worked <laughs> yeah, okay, for, yeah, for yeah, the, yeah. their parents before. But, you know, I, I've spent four or five hours with Audrey Forbes Hamilton and I, you know, <laughs> it's hard work. Imagine that for 20 years, you know. <laughs> you, either, you either fight back and get fired or you're a broken man. They're, yeah, they're, you have, the you know, there's no recourse to fight back, is there at all? I mean, I think the character is played quite wonderfully by John Rudling. Yeah, it's a it's a great performance. But I know I don't know the name or the face. So what what else did John Rudling do? No, I mean he's a proper old school actor. He was born in 1907. Um, he did his he did some TV roles in the 30s. You know, like oh, the the early TV stuff. You know, even by this point he was. In his 70s. Mm-hmm. But he was picked. I think Gareth Gwenlon, the producer, sort of knew him from something or other and sort of went, he'll play a great butler. I want him. Mm. And so so went to him specifically. But yeah, he was old school. He was in a lot of Ealing comedies in the 50s. Around this time, around in the 70s, he started making odd little, just odd appearances in sitcoms like Porridge he's in. He's in one episode of Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, just stuff like that. Mm. But very small roles. Right. Actually, his his very final screen appearance 
is in an episode of Sorry from oh. 82, I think it was. Um, and again, like two lines, that's it. It's just a sort of passerby character. Right. Um, and it's and it's pretty clear here, you know. You watch him in these this episode. He's not a spry young man. He's he's in his seventies, and yeah. he looks it, and he's he's a bit doddery. And they don't play on that for comedy. He's not a doddery butler. Yeah, but uh, he is just a doddery actor <laughs> playing a butler. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of series one, and in fact, we go from series one. They did a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Now the series ended in November, so the Christmas special was like two weeks later. Yeah. But I, I don't think it was part of the normal run. I, I'm, I'm supposing here, I'm, I'm sort of making some assumptions here. I think the show came out and was such a big success that they went, mm. quick, get a Christmas special knocked out. Okay. So I don't think it was filmed in the same block. And so he's not in it. And they kind of uh. just explain it away. And then the first episodes of series two, which is like nearly a year later, he's not in those either. And they bring in one of the other characters to be a new butler. Ned. Yes. Okay. Yes. That was, that was sort of half explained in one of the episodes I watched and I didn't quite get, oh, that makes sense. And you think, oh God, something's happened to him, you Mm -hmm. know, like obviously something bad's happened. But they, they're obviously confident about it coming back because they, they don't write out the character. They're basically, oh, yeah, he's broken his ankle, so he's off work yeah. at the moment, but he'll be back. And, and they write it in. So Ned, who's the outdoor man, you know, he works mm. in the garden. He has to come in, and that's a nice bit of comedy there because he's not used to that. He's not got the decorum of a butler and all that. Yeah. It actually works quite nicely for a bit of comedy. Yeah. But then he comes back at, like, episode five of that series, and then he, he comes back, and um, he's lost a significant amount of weight. Like, you can tell he's uh. been ill. And I read somewhere he'd had a heart attack. Um, I think that was the case, but obviously something he, he was ill, and so he couldn't yeah. work. And they and they, but they brought him back as soon as he could. And then he sees out the rest of the series, and he died uh, in '83. So it was only a couple of years after after that series. Like I say, he didn't really work after that. Not exactly a famous name. No, just a, no. Just but a great performance. Just a, nice know, it's a supporting player. role. It's a, it's probably the fourth biggest role in the show. But it, but it's mm. you know he's not he's not in every episode. He's not in in every scene. Uh, but yeah, a, a really good performance. I, the whole thing just doesn't sit easy with me. The whole butler mm. thing. In a big country house, you've got a staff running the house. You yeah. can't do it yourself. But then Audrey lives has moved into this little lodge. And obviously that's the whole point of the joke. She's in this little lodge and she's still taking her butler with her, a loyal yeah. manservant. And that's not even like, oh, well, I can't look after myself. I need a manservant. Or there is that part of it. She's like, well, what is he going to do? He's a 72-year-old <laughs> butler. Like, I'm not, it's a job for life. I have to keep him on and pay him until he dies. Well, no, no, sorry. She doesn't pay him. Um, no, he doesn't not... get paid. His payment is that he is allowed to live in the spare room. But that's that's the other thing. You know, she, she lives the life Obviously, she's she's booted unceremoniously out of Grantley Manor because she's got no money. But she still mm-hmm. basically continues to live the life of a rich country woman, despite yeah. the fact she's got no money. And you know, we we hear in one of the other episodes that she you know she hasn't paid the doctor's bill. She has to go on the NHS, and, mm. and you know she, she's basically got unpaid. Where, where she needs to have her car fixed, and they won't they won't fix it until she's paid the last twenty years worth of uh, <laughs> of repair bills. So she's got debt everywhere. She's she's a bad payer. Yeah, and she's absolutely horrified that people. People want to be paid. It's yeah. just not the way it's done. So rude. <laughs> and which is why the woman at the shop hates her and she's rude to her. <laughs> yeah, because she hasn't paid her bill. She hasn't paid her account. Let's go back to our episode. So um, we now get a scene where 
we're basically seeing the ball. And obviously, because we don't want to pay for lots of extras, we're, we're actually just in Richard's office with about eight people who are about to go into the ball. I'll tell you this as well, what I noticed. Eight people who have their backs to camera the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Which I suspect they're just like lighting guys or something. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. there's something off there. Because if you've got a load of extras in, too. have them milling around and show their face. Like, there's something odd going on there. Mm-hmm. But what, what this is really funny, because you remember we saw this scene earlier where the brigadier goes to Richard and asks him if we can have the ball at the manor. And he says, yes, and he's busy. He's working. I am doing work. Well, now the ball is just about to start. Everyone's in their evening dress, including Richard. He's in a dinner jacket. And yet he's still doing work. He's still trying to answer the phones. He's talking to he's talking to Munich or somewhere somewhere in a different time zone. It's utterly ridiculous. You know, either have the party or don't have the party. But you can't be working whilst the party is happening. Well, that's why your career is in such a shambles. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking about Richard being um, nouveau riche and being business rather than landed gentry, well, this scene this scene exemplifies that perfectly. He's, he's literally refusing to play the game. Yeah, yeah. Given the way this ends, there is at least a suggestion that he's putting that on a bit because Audrey isn't there. And yeah. he's like, oh, I don't actually want to have to escort Marjorie because, you know, she's Marjorie mm-hmm. and everybody hates her, apparently, for some strange reason. So, <laughs> so even though she's really nice. And so maybe that's just an excuse like oh sorry i would love to be in all your nonsense but uh, i'm just gonna pop over and see audrey well before we get to that scene i wanted to ask you about that this is the the summer hunt ball and they're all in their red fox hunting gear because this is the local hunt it's their ball yeah that's something which has culturally changed in the last 40 years Mm. if you made a program now about people who were a fox hunting club that would have a very different feel to it a very different weight to what it had in 1978. Yeah, there's, there is not even a question of, is this okay? <laughs> Killing no, no, animals? Absolutely. These are just posh people. That's all it is. So when you say they're fox hunters, that, that has absolutely, there is no relevance at all. That's nothing to do with foxes. That is mm. just, oh, they're posh. It's just a signifier for posh. That is it. Mm. And that is certainly not the case now. And in this particular case, it's the hunt ball. They're not going on a hunt. We do no. see them going on a hunt at one point. Or we see, like, that's one of the gags, you know, Richard has mm. to go on a horse and try and do a hunt and he's no good at it. You know, that's yeah. like him trying to fit into country life and all that. Mm. But again, it's never even questioned that is uh, is there any moral reason against this? No. Like, it's uh, not even a, a consideration. That was one of those things that, uh, you know, the hunting ban was brought in by the Blair government in the late 90s or maybe the early 2000s. But it was kind of one of those things that they did and seemed quite popular, but no one was really clamouring for it. <laughs> it wasn't like there was, you know, there were some there were some animal rights activists who were who were campaigning for it, but it wasn't like there was a great demand within the country to stop this cruelty to foxes. No one really gave a monkeys, as is evidenced by this episode. I got a lot of foxes around where I live, <laughs> and sometimes they scream at night. And you I, don't, think... I don't think the Grantley fox hunt is coming through Brixton. <laughs> well, it's a shame because it can clear them out a bit, <laughs> keeping me away. <laughs> so our, our very final scene here that sort of closes off the episode is uh, Richard comes to the, the lodge, speaks to Audrey and basically makes peace with her saying, oh, mm. you know, I'm sorry, this hasn't kind of turned out all well. So, so it's a, it feels like a very tacked on happy ending. It doesn't feel like it's really come naturally it's not from earned, what's it? happened before. Yeah. It's not earned. Yeah. So, so basically Audrey, Audrey sat there in her dressing gown sulking and Richard turns up and she takes her dressing gown off. She's got her 
ball dress on ready and they have a little dance that's great but but there's nothing in the previous 20 minutes that suggests that's going to happen you know it just yeah. it's just kind of oh oh are we just fancy her oh right i see and i think that's pretty typical of the show altogether it's will they won't they but it's like no they won't no they won't no they won't no oh will they no there never feels like any romantic feelings between them because yeah well firstly she's everything we know about her is that she's completely mercenary you know, she didn't, and she didn't love her ex-husband, her husband that died. And it feels to me like any interest she has in Richard is purely so she can get back in that manner. There's no romantic feelings there. Mm. On the other hand, you know, he's perhaps a little more romantic, but he's so preoccupied with his running his business, doing business, that why would he have any time for this nonsense? Mm. It do, it doesn't make sense. And this episode, that tacked on scene at the end, as you put it, is a perfect example of how. It feels like the final episode with their tacked on wedding. Just, it mm-hmm. just, the whole thing is just like, well, I, it doesn't really make sense. You haven't earned that. Yeah, exactly. So it has this tacked on happy ending. And then because we can't actually have a happy ending where it's like, oh, they actually do like each other. And next week they'll be together. Well, they have to kind of pull that back as well. So they can't even commit to that. Uh, so instead, you know, through sound effects, we understand yeah. that Richard has uh, fallen off a bridge got and she's some good old, good old laugh. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird ending, but I think very typical of the show in general, of this kind of, oh, we'll stick that in. And I know, I know why that is. You watch any interviews with people talking about To the Man of Born, like the people who made it, they all say, you know, the secret to a success was it wasn't just a comedy, it was a love story. People want a love mm-hmm. story, and that's what they will, they won't, and they all this sort of thing. Everyone says that apart from Peter Spence, the writer, who basically says, I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want them to be in love. I wasn't interested in any of that. And I just did it because that's what people said I had to do. (laughs) And so I think that's why it feels a bit tacked on. Also, just talking about the writing, there's a couple of interesting points here. So you'll see in the credits that Peter Spence is the writer. And there is a credit of script associate uh, by the name of Christopher Bond. Okay. Now, Christopher Bond was just a good old pair of hands, a company man who knew his structure. And as we established, Peter Spence was not a sitcom writer. Mm. He's a gag man. And so they teamed him up with him just to give him someone to bounce his ideas off, help him structure it, etc., etc. Fair enough, right? That's that's the way it works. Peter Spence is getting the writing credit because he's the one actually sort of pump, pumping the ideas into it. But the very last episode, as in the last of the normal run where they end up getting married is credited to Christopher Bond, writer Christopher Bond. It's the only one who's credited as a writer. The reason for that is Peter Spence did not want them to get married. He did not want to write the episode and refused to do it. Fell out with Gareth Gwenlan, the producer, director. So Gwenlan just went to Christopher Bond and said, look, you know these characters, write me this script. What a Gwenlan. So that was in that was the last episode, and Peter Spence never worked for the BBC again. The only other the only thing he ever did was the twenty fifth anniversary. He mm. wrote that. Uh, that's the only time he ever worked for the BBC again. I don't think you do bad by Gareth Gwynlan. You do as you're told. Right. Just to speak about Gareth Gwynlan, obviously, like he's a bit of a bit of a legend in the in the BBC game there in in mm. this period because so back in that day it was always sort of producer director. You would kind of lead the show, and his first credit actually as director is on Oh Brother. Um, with Derek Nimmo. Ah, yes. But his first hit was in the 70s with Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. That was his uh-huh. thing. Followed that by Butterflies. Um, right. And then immediately To the Man of Born was after that. So, I mean, like, he's a hit maker. Uh, he knew he knew what he was doing. He also then shepherded in Solo and The Mistress because he'd worked mm-hmm. with Carla Lane. Yeah. 
Sweet 16, which was the Penelope Keith show. And he did Waiting for God, which oh, right. okay. yeah. stars Michael Bilton, who plays Ned in this. Yes, he was a regular yes. in Waiting yeah. for God. That's kind of what he's best known for. He's sort of one of those people who turns up in all sorts of sitcoms. Um, but then uh, he also, we also saw him in Time Gentleman Please. He directed a handful of those. Yeah which I, I suspect was they wanted a, a safe pair of hands to come yeah. in because it was a bit of a chaos. chaotic. Uh, yeah. But then he was he was also head of comedy at the BBC in the late 80s, 83 to 90. He was the okay. head of comedy at the BBC. And he uh, during that period, he rejected Red Dwarf, as we've sort of talked about before, which is why Gwendolyn is used as an insult mm-hmm. in Red Dwarf. But so he was comedy uh, in, the, in the BBC in the 80s. So Gwendolyn was, was power. And Peter Spence fell out with him. Yeah, and so Spence crossed him and never never worked again you'll never work in this town again yeah exactly and peter spence just for the record though uh he straight after this his next show was uh, called father's day mm. it was a channel 4 sitcom in uh, 1983 so it's quite early channel 4 um and that was his only other sitcom that he he wrote he's written like odd little things here and there he's never really done anything else <laughs> you know he's just a uh, just little bits and pieces that I find all that very interesting. Peter Spence definitely mm. was not interested in them getting together, uh, and he wasn't really interested in writing any of that. And it also feels like he just accidentally fell into writing a sitcom because he had the right idea at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the fact they obviously had to bring someone else in to help make it work. Well, look, we've we've finished our episode. We've sort of very consciously not talked about Peter Bowles yet, so. Mm. Why don't we tell me his background? We talked about him when we reviewed Rising Damp. He was a guest in an episode of Rising Damp. And I know him, of course, from Only When I Laugh, which we've talked about a couple of times as well. But he's kind of just one of those faces from the 1980s for me. So give me a bit of background on where he came from. Yeah, well, actually, speaking of butlers, his father was a butler for Lord Beaverbrook. Lord Beaverbrook, right. So Lord Beaverbrook was, uh, he was a newspaper proprietor. He was Canadian. So he was one of these nouveau riches in the 1930s. Uh, but then during the war, he was a good friend of Churchill. So during the war, he became was it minister of armaments or he was something in the Ministry of Defence. But yeah, so his parents were both in the service of, of Lord Beaverbrook. His dad was a butler. His mother was a nanny. Right. And that's how they met. Um, so he was born in 1936. So like you said about butler being quite a good job, you know, like yeah. he's, as, a, as a child of that, he's, he went to grammar school. You know, it was sort of yeah. like, you know, upwardly mobile. Yeah. Rada, uh, classic stuff. Started his career at the Old Vic. Settled into his career of occasional TV appearances. Actually, whenever you hear him being interviewed about it, he his thing, whereas Penelope Keith was told, you're too tall, you're not pretty enough. Mm. He was told, you've got a very dark complexion. So mm. you're going to play... Swarthy. Uh, Europe, you're going to play not British people, villains, swarthy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so he played a lot of villains and didn't really do much in the way of comedy. I think... From what I can tell, looking at his CV, that episode of Rising Damp that he appears in yeah. is the first thing that is very obviously this is a comedy performance, you know, very overtly comedic. Mm. But but what's interesting there is that that I, I can't remember precisely what year that was, but he would have been about forty when that episode mm. of Rising Damp was on, and then yeah. you know forty plus during To the Man of Born. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. You know, that's that's a long way into an acting career. Yeah, and like you say, it was obviously he's working. It's not like he was. Uh, an unknown he just hadn't had a big hit role or anything like that uh yeah obviously this this was what made him a household name and made him a huge star you know like i say this was a big success the and then only when i laugh as well was about the same time that was a big hit 
And then the eighties is is like Peter Bowles is just on TV all the time. In these huge these huge hits. So he did uh, the Bounder, mm. the Irish RM, Lytton's yep. Diary, Executive Stress with Penelope Keith, mm. and then the early nineties he did the Perfect Scoundrels. Yeah. Uh, and you know a lot of those like he was either a writer on it or or a producer. You know he'd buy the okay. rights to something and then get it going. Like he's got he obviously likes to be a bit behind the scenes as well. I mean I I don't remember all of those programs, but he he sort of had a, a line in well. <laughs> For want of a better word, he was a bounder. You know, he was a sort of charmer, a little bit greasy, a little bit untrustworthy, but certainly all the ladies loved charming. Him, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, things quiet down in the nineties, but I think he was doing a lot of theatre work at the time. Yeah, and maybe just like he was working so much, maybe just burned himself out a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, he still works now. He's well into his eighties now, and he's he's still working right. uh, every now and then. You know, he's he's doing stuff. Yeah, good for him. Just while we're talking about Peter Bowles, though, there's, this this ties into something I want to talk about. So, To the Manor Born, it was a huge hit. That first series was getting audiences of 24 million viewers plus. The, the finale of series one was the most watched television program of the 70s, excluding live events. So, not of including... The 70s? Like, yes. Uh, but excluding wow. like the big football game and the royal wedding and stuff like that, like like live transmissions. Okay. In terms of programming, the most watched television. Show. On, let me let me just process that. So if we just compare that to other sitcoms, so any step to episode, any rising damp episode, any of those mm. classics, the last episode of the first series of To the Manor Born yeah. is number one. And and That's and, and high consistently throughout the series, obviously the last episode had built up an audience. But here's the thing: everyone goes on about this. Everyone talks about how it was so successful straight away. Everyone loved it. It was this huge hit. Did you say it was a Sunday night thing? Yeah. So I guess BBC Two wasn't on on a Sunday night, was it? Well, you're really there. There's a huge caveat here, which is not mentioned in any of the the sort of documentaries you watch. Hang on, can I guess? Was there an ITV strike? There was an ITV yes. strike, a huge strike, the mass, the biggest strike in British television history in 1979. ITV was off the air for 11 weeks <laughs> and it was smack bang in the middle of that to the Manor Born comes on mm-hmm. air. And that is conspicuously not mentioned when people are eulogizing how great Interesting. to the Manor Born was. But of course, by the time ITV came back on, it didn't just like slip back in. It's yeah, people start They'd got it. an audience by then. Mm-hmm. So still once you have the audience it still kept the audience so you know yeah. fair enough yeah. it's it's there but there is a reason this show was so successful at its time but here's the interesting thing that ties it in for me when itv came back on air in october 1979 the the first week one of the first new shows that came out hmm. was only when i laugh yeah. now i cannot find reliable information here of when that was filmed i think it must have been filmed and sat on a shelf waiting for the strike to be done so that yes. they could put it out I think only when I laugh must have been filmed before to the manor born. Yeah. I'm but I am not sure. If it had come out a few weeks later, I could argue they rushed this through. They knew they had mm. Peter Bowles as a big star. Let's get this program that we've rehearsed and we're ready to film. The electricians yeah. are back, the technicians are back. Let's get it filmed. But it was out four days after ITV came back on air. <laughs> it's just too quick a turnaround. So I think it must have been already done, filmed and sat on a shelf. Yeah. Which is really interesting that these two these two big hits came, or these two sitcom roles came along for him at basically the same time. Mm. And I'm curious if the success of Only When I Laugh was helped by the fact that Peter Bowles at that point was starring 
you know, the series the is still one, going on. The, the number, number one, one program sitcom in the country. In the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it has to, doesn't it? Obviously, it has to have an sure. effect. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'd love to know where, what the actual dates are of when they were filmed and when he was cast and stuff like that. Mm. And so the other interesting thing with Peter Bowles in terms of uh, his sitcom lineage was that he was originally wanted to play Jerry in The Good Life. Okay. And he basically went, oh, yeah, sounds very interesting, but I'm, I'm decided to do this play instead. I'm going to do this play. Goes to work on this play and Richard Bryars is in it. And Richard Bryars is going, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this sitcom called The Good Life. He's like, oh, hang on, I was up for that. And I said, I couldn't do it because of this play. How come you're doing it? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. They film on Sundays, so we can do it. <laughs> I rehearsed during the day, come here, do the show, and then record. So he's like, oh, I could have done that. So he lost that part. So when this came around, and he was like, okay, another chance to work with Penelope Keith, great. Uh, he was filming Rumpole of the Bailey. That was kind of his big thing. That's what he uh-huh. was known for at the time. And he managed to kind of convince them that he could do both. And so he split rehearsal days. You know, he would do half half a day on Rumpole and then okay. half a day on uh, on this, which makes sense because him and Penelope Keith are quite rarely in the same scene together <laughs> you know like this like you can see how they be able to sort of rehearse he could only turn up for half a day yeah he could probably make that work <laughs> that is very true yes that's a good good observation that this the episode we've just watched it's only the final scene that they're actually acting with each other so that's a good that's a really good summary of peter bowles can we just talk again a little bit more about the character so we talked about his background we meet his mother who lives with him there. So she's yes. from, she's Czechoslovakian. And we get lots of kind of ancient wisdom type of things from her. Now, I, I'm getting the impression when, when she first appeared in the episode I was watching, I wrote down, is she Irish or Polish? And then, <laughs> uh, then I, we found out she's Czechoslovakian. But, but the point is, I'm guessing that the actress was not Czechoslovakian. Is that right? No, she's she's called Daphne Hurd. So that's not <laughs> okay. traditionally she's a Czechoslovakian name. Uh, but she uh, she's British. But I think, you know, the character of Mrs. Pulovitska, she's doing a kind of generic Eastern European accent. Mm. And, you know, that's fine. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, but but it, it's not played for laughs. Like, she's not doing a funny foreign accent. She's just yeah. doing an Eastern European accent. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have explained. Bedrich is my son. Who's Bedrich? <laughs> the Mr. Deville. But your name is Pulu something. Pulovitska. <laughs> we came over in 1939 from Czechoslovakia. What my, my problem with the character in general is I don't think it adds anything. I'm not sure what her purpose is. I think it emphasizes that he's an outsider because we've yeah. been told he's foreign. We've been told that he's not one of us. We've been told he's a mercenary businessman, but he doesn't sound like it. You know, he sounds posh mm. to, to most listeners, to most viewers. He sounds like just the same as the rest of them. So we need her there to show, look, this is what he really is. He's not, you know, he's not one of us. He's foreign. This is the thing again, where it feels like they're setting up conflict, but then they don't have conflict. He's not embarrassed about what he is. No. He kind of hides. He, 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 pre- he presents this very British gentleman because it's good for business. But he's not embarrassed about that he's being a self-made man. He's proud of that. He's not embarrassed by his mother. She's a little bit kind of embarrassing in the mother sense. But mm. he's not ashamed of her or what she is. No. And she fits into that society pretty well as well, even yeah. though she's an outsider. And she seems to get on well with Audrey as well. Yeah, yeah. And everyone Their likes relationship's her. great. Yeah. So again, it's just like setting up conflict and then 
not achieving it. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't really know what it was. And then I read something, I heard in a, an interview or something, that character was not in the original concept. And it was only after they'd written the first series that they decided it would be a good element to have. And so they dropped her in it in very conspicuously after the fact i mean she's not in this episode at all no no well indeed obviously i watched several episodes not all of them like you do but because i missed episodes and i was watching them piecemeal hmm. I, I never got the introduction so suddenly she appeared and i thought oh oh right he's czechoslovakian i see it is episodic but it's also got that that's that through line that story there isn't much of an intro to her character. You know, it's just like, <laughs> okay. oh, stop being embarrassing, mum. Oh, when we came over from Czechoslovakia in 1939, you didn't yeah. say that. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> I see. That's about it, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. But but Daphne Hurd, who plays the character, obviously she's at the tail end of her career at this point. You know, she's obviously an older mm -hmm. lady. But she does have a bit of a, a, a very specific sitcom lineage because she was a regular uh, character in Wild Wild Women. Wild, wild women. How many times has that come up? Goodness <laughs> sake. <laughs> like anyone else, she, she you'll see her in sitcoms like one-off appearance here, one, you know, and all sorts of other, you know, very storied sure. career, but not a huge well-known name. J just, you know, off the back of, of this or around, around the same time as this, she was a regular in Don't Forget to Write with George mm -hmm. Cole another yeah. sitcom but again that's not exactly a huge hit uh, and then she died in 83 so you know like i say this is sort of tail end of her career i like the character but i just don't know what it achieves in the in the context of the show i don't know yeah well i, I as i said i think it i think it just she is a physical manifestation of his otherness yeah that he can't provide because frankly he's so posh yeah because he's not that i think that's a really interesting time capsule from the turn of the 1980s. When you say, you know, he's posh, but but he's not posh. And and that, that definition is probably different today to what it was in 1978. You know, Audrey Ford's Hamilton is landed gentry. She's old money. Whereas Richard Devere is, is, is nouveau riche. He's, he's new money. He's, he's, he's had to work for his money. How dreadful. And that was, that was very much, as, as Thatcher came to power, I know this was filmed just before Thatcher came to power, but Mm -hmm. You know, she was part of that change in society where we were, we, we became less deferential towards titles and towards that old money and that landed gentry. And it was more about being entrepreneurial and earning money. You know, we look back on Thatcherism as, in the 1980s and how that, how society changed. But this is clearly capturing that moment even before Thatcher came to power. If you look back, you know, just even after the war, you look back at sort of Tory prime ministers, Macmillan and Hume, and they were kind of very old gentry. I mean, Hume had to denounce his peerage so that he could sit in the House of Commons. So, yeah. so they, were, they were old money. And actually, Edward Heath, who became Conservative Party leader in, in the late 60s, he was a grammar school boy. You know, his dad was a small businessman. And he, you know, grammar school boy to us now sounds like that's still quite upwardly mobile but you know mm. if you went to Eton then a grammar school boy was an oik mm. and so he was he was kind of the first well the first Tory prime minister the first Tory leader to really break that stranglehold if you like that's why Alf Garnett hates him yeah don't trust him absolutely because Alf Garnett he you know he's dirt poor but he's that old deferential I know my place that they, they are bred for it they know, know how to lead us yeah, yeah. they're bred yeah. for it 
it's really interesting that Richard Richard's money comes from Cavendish Foods. So he owns this multinational, multi-million pound food company and he provides, you know, he supplies foods to supermarkets. I think he's got his own range of supermarkets. You know, it's yeah. a massive business. He's basically running Tesco. When they're trying to take the business off him and we have those sort of posh people on the board who are trying to elbow him out, and they refer to him as the grocer. And that's that's really insightful because people used to refer to Thatcher as the grocer's daughter. Mm, you know, yeah. that because her father ran a shop, you know, she grew up above the shop. And so that was seen as a great insult. And so when Thatcher succeeded Heath as leader of the Conservative Party, she inherited a shadow cabinet. And when she first came to power, a cabinet who were very much of the old school. And it took her a couple of years before she cleared them out and got her people in there. And there was a really interesting moment. It was that episode, Connections in High Places. So it's the episode where Richard's struggling to keep hold of his career. And CJ from Reggie Perrin is, is, represents the sort of old money. Yeah. Uh, Richard refers to him as a wet. Because that's how, that, initial, that first Thatcher cabinet, there were the, the, the Thatcherites and the wets. And the wets were those old school patrician Tories who she ultimately cleared out and got rid of. So if you look at... You know, the people of the 1980s, the successors, you know, Richard Branson and those entrepreneurs, mm. they were people who had made their own money. And, and yeah, Thatcherite policies made it possible for people to do that. Now, you could argue that in the old days, the landowner, Audrey Forbes Hamilton, her part of her role, part of the, the landowner's role was to look after the peasants, to look after the people who lived on their land. And with the breakdown of that old social order, nobody looked after those people. The state mm. looked after those people. And that's perhaps, if you have those political inclinations, where you would say Thatcherite, Thatcherism fell down because it didn't look after those people. And this is, of course, why Del Boy is such a Thatcherite, because he mm. wants to be a self-made entrepreneur. man. That's, that's, his, uh, that's why he existed in the 80s. You know? I'm, I'm cribbing a Stuart Lee bit here, but you know, he says, oh, do you remember in the 80s when Thatcher was so unpopular? Do you remember in the 80s when Thatcher was so unpopular that she only won those three landslide elections? <laughs> you know, whatever we think of her now, and whatever people said about her then, she was very popular. Ben Elton didn't like her, though. <laughs> no. And look what good that did us, you know. <laughs> that's late 80s. That's 90s. This is pre-Thatcher. So anti-establishment meant something different, even just 10 years earlier. And, and mm. that speaks to the powerful change that Thatcherism wrought on society. For, for the better or worse, I'm not, I'm not making judgment. I'm saying that this program and the, the gentle satire that To The Man Born represents probably wouldn't have worked 10 or 12 years later. It was a mm. world that was in the past. But would it work 25 years later? Good question. Why do you ask that, Alan? <laughs> because they did it again. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. That was an absolutely world-beating segue. <laughs> well, actually, do you know what? They did a radio series in 1997. Okay. Which was made up of old scripts and a few new scripts that Peter Spence had written. And uh, Penelope Keith is in it, but Keith Barron plays Devere. Okay. That's just a weird little anomaly that they rejuvenated it for radio mm. 15 years later. I don't know why, particularly, but radio is kind of its own thing, isn't it? You know, it's not quite yeah. the same uh, world. But then, so yeah, in 2007, and don't ask me specifically how this came about, but someone thought, wouldn't it be good to revisit these characters mm. and do like an hour long special? I'm fascinated to know whose idea this was and 
well, we can talk about whether or not it worked, but it's a it's a fascinating idea. I don't know. The circumstances just fell right that someone thought, yeah, let's put the money up for that. I honestly don't know <laughs> who's doing it. You know, it's who who made this happen. But all the players are there. All, all your main players yeah. that are still alive are there, and I think it's a a nice concept. Like because oh yeah, we, I, I, just to specifically say, the end of the series ends with them finally getting together and getting married. A little yeah. bit out of nowhere, and before that even audrey gets her her manner back yes so that is literally the end of the show yay will they won't they yeah they did they got married yeah what's what happens after that are they happy together did it all work out i can see why there's a question to be asked there so yeah 25 years later it's 2007 or 26 Mm -hmm. years later um and and the conceit is it's their 25th anniversary yeah so Peter Spence, when he's talking of writing this, he sort of said, well, the first thing I needed to do was separate them because yeah. writing, a, writing a show about this couple who are just spending time together is, not, is no good. And so the, the episode starts with them sort of falling out and she yeah. moves out. And she, so she goes and moves back into the lodge where, where Marjorie is now living. Yes, much to Marjorie's dismay. Yeah, but it's a beautiful thing because she's back in the lodge. It's right as you were in the series. yeah. yeah. Marjorie's on hand. It all makes sense. We can believe all that in terms of story. And they're having to sort of plot behind each other's back again. I think it's a really nice concept. I think it's well executed. You've got the same mm-hmm. tone and everything there still. It's it's nicely done. Yeah, it works well. The, I tell you, my biggest problem with the 21st anniversary was it just wasn't all that funny. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really laugh yeah. much. Did you laugh much throughout the series? No, that's, that's a fair point. That's a fair question. <laughs> There was one good joke that I've written down, and we're not going to go through this episode line by line, but the landowner next door is going to have a rock concert, and they're disgusted by this, a rock festival. And so they go, because they want to see what young people get up to, they go to a nightclub, and um, they get arrested because they the police think they're popping pills. It's actually paracetamol. But they've gone there in evening gowns because they go, they go well we're going to a nightclub we should we should dress appropriately <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they've had this awful night so they've been to a club they've been arrested they've been stuck in the police station with all these dreadful people and marjorie says <laughs> i didn't think women spoke that kind of language i was most embarrassed <laughs> well they did provoke me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, very it, nice. it's it's a great line, and I, I it's probably the only time watching all these things that I laughed out loud. It's good, yeah, and and you know what, right? The the original series to the Manabal one, it feels like it's set in an old time. You know, it feels like this is an old fashioned world that is falling apart. I mean, that's kind of the whole concept. Yeah, it is, yeah. but but then jump forward twenty five years. That is what you're seeing in that scene where they go to a nightclub, which you don't get in the in the original series. Is them actually having to confront the real the world, world the, the world outside of their bubble. We don't really get that in the original series. Mm, that's true. The conflict is within that world. All the favourites uh, are back. All your main people are there are back. And there's one regular character that we haven't mentioned, actually, the, the rector. No, the rector. So the rector is an interesting word because it basically just means vicar, but it's a funnier word. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what a rector is. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not up on my uh, episcopal positions. But, no, sure. you know. It's just a he's just a local vicar. There's there's a nice conflict between him and Audrey in the series because she's just telling everyone what to do, including like how to run his church, and he's just he's he hates her. Yeah, <laughs> but he's he hates not allowed her. to say yeah, that because he's a vicar. 
<laughs> so there's a nice little gentle conflict between them. And so they, they pop him in uh, in, in this uh, 25th anniversary. He's sort of long retired by that. He was in his 80s by that point. Mm. But he pops up for a little cameo because he's not in the episode we just watched, uh, that we just talked about. Uh, but that was Gerald Sim who played him. And he's, he's just one of those people who turns up and stuff. He he mostly plays Vickers, to be honest. Like that seems <laughs> to be his... his uh, his uh, course, um, brother of Sheila Sim, actually, who was married to Richard Attenborough. If you, if you're, uh, that's the only sort of interesting little bit of trivia about him. But yeah, a little bit like Frank Williams in Dad's Army, just sort of spent his entire career playing vicars and sort of other slightly posh doctors and stuff like that. Uh, but we do, we do get a couple of new characters, of course. So Brabinger, John Woodling is long dead, so they need a new butler, mm-hmm. and he's played by. Someone I quite like, uh, uh, Alan David. Alan David, who was, I, I know Alan David because he was in the Squirrels, which you did a yes. forgotten sitcoms on last year. So I, I recognized his face to the extent that I went and looked him up and then obviously realized who it was. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the Squirrels. That's kind of what I know him from and what, I, what I, li- I liked him in that. He was one of the better elements of that. He was also a regular in the Green Green Grass which would have been about this time, wouldn't mm-hmm. it, 2007? But, you know, he, he popped up in an episode of The Thin Blue Line, for example, when we watched that. You know, he's just he pops up in little things like that. But, yeah, so mm-hmm. here he plays the butler, the sort of replacement for Brabinger, but he's much more of a comedy butler, resents yeah. his life. Do you like him more? The problem with Brabinger is not that I dislike him, I just feel very sad for his <laughs> life. Or at least this guy is obviously like sticking it to him a little bit. And then, of course, the other major addition we have uh, is a, a very sexy, charming young man who oh, is yeah. going who, to make who, Marjorie Who, who meets Marjorie and makes Marjorie go, gosh. Yeah. But obviously, you get Alexander Armstrong in to play that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you love Alexander Armstrong, don't you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so Alexander Armstrong, yeah. Who, But like, he's got a good sitcom lineage. Well, do you remember when he played Sexy Boyfriend in Time, Gentleman, Please? <laughs> Sexy boyfriend who's supposed to be at least like uh, supposed to be twenty one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because here he plays Alexander Armstrong. I think he's quite well cast here, actually. Yeah. So he's playing Audrey's nephew, right? It's something like that. Something yeah. like that. But um, you know, he's he's there to learn the business from Richard, and that, that, and you know, he, he's playing a slightly posh boy, which is exactly what he is. Yeah, and he, and you know, I'm sort of mocking him slightly. I, okay, I think he's very bland and uninteresting, but I, I that's right for this character, yeah. and I think he's the right level of sexy that a sixty-year-old Marjorie would swoon yes. over him. So yes. I'm all right with that. <laughs> yes, I think you're right there. There's some nice interplay between them. It's all quite sweet, yeah. and Marjorie is still absolutely delightful and gets walked all over by Audrey. Yeah, Audrey's horrible. Audrey, Audrey goes and lives in the lodge with Marjorie. And, you know, we, we come back to them at one scene and Audrey's got cleaners going through the house and just moving things around. And, you know, and, and, and Marjorie said, well, well, you know, uh, there was nothing wrong with it. I liked it like that. And she says, no need to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got. And they did. They went back to the house as well. They went back to the mm. same location, actually filmed a bit okay. more stuff on location. And just in, in terms of the history of the house, it's quite interesting. I was looking at that. Because obviously it's a country estate, and as we see into the Manor Born, you can't just run a country estate. It has to has to make some money these days. You know, there's no money in farming. So that house, it had a wildlife park in it uh, for many years, which is quite common in old country estates, isn't it? I've just get some tigers and stuff. Yeah. Um, but also in the 90s, it was used for a theme park called Crinkly Bottom, oh, which was basically. Really? 
Blobbyland, as it was yes. popularly known. Uh, Noel Edmonds made a couple of attempts to get a, a th- Noel Edmonds themed <laughs> theme park off the ground, and this was his first attempt, and never quite played out. Uh, to me, he personifies the eighties, the Thatcherite 80s. You know, that upwardly mobile, trying to make a make a pound note here and there. You know. Yeah. An entrepreneur. Edmonds is an entrepreneur. Oh, he's, yeah, like he's, he's a lot more than a presenter, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Uh, he's always he's got fingers in every pie around there. Mm. Yeah. But that. So yeah, that was uh, that was what Cricket House <laughs> was was doing. Can I ask you about one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which was the the, the titles and the music we always talk about? Oh yes, of course. Now, the titles are pretty unremarkable. It's just a sort of long shot of the Grantly Manor. Well, there are the. I, I did write down actually what appears in the opening credits because it's a series of still images. Mm-hmm. But they're obviously designed to invoke the world. So here's what they have: a nice picturesque shot of the manor. Yeah. So that's the stately home. I obviously checked out at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. What else? The Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royce, uh, which is this old 1940s Rolls Royce, and that's part of that becomes a big part of the the yeah. show that she keeps this Rolls Royce, but it's crap. And but also mm. the the interesting thing is in that opening image you see they're silhouetted, so you can't see who they are. But there's a driver. And a woman sat in the back. But uh. one of the jokes in the show is that she won't let Brabinger drive the car because he can't do it properly. So she drives everywhere. <laughs> and Brabinger just Recently. sits in the passenger seat next to her as the <laughs> chauffeur. So that's interesting that they obviously hadn't got that when they made the still images. Um, and then we get a, a framed picture of like a hunt, you know, the fox hunt. And a silk handkerchief with a gold tie pin and a walking cane. That's countryside. And then... The next one is a shotgun and a couple of dead pheasants. Lovely. So, so this is, and Different then the times. final, the final image is uh, champagne and caviar. Beautiful. So that's that's the world we're evoking as we go into. But yeah, it's just a series of still images. Okay, that's that's good. Well, 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 well that is interesting. Uh, but but also equally interesting is the fact that I didn't notice any of that. I just saw a picture <laughs> of Grantly Manor, and then I was obviously so bored by the titles that skip I checked forwards. out. Yeah. <laughs> skip. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't physically skip forwards, but but clearly <laughs> mentally I did. <laughs> The music, however, yeah. if you ask me to hum the music to the, to the Man of Born right now, I am going to hum the music to Yes Minister. Yeah, yeah. They are identical. <laughs> oh, no, they're not identical, but they are so similar. Uh, the, the, as soon as it started playing, I thought, oh, God, this is the same music as Yes Minister. Mm. I went onto YouTube to check. This is exactly <laughs> the same music. Right. It is not exactly the same music, but God, it might as well be. similar isn't it yeah and it's yeah. ronnie hazelhurst i mean it's the same guy behind it all this came out the year before yes Minister. Oh, right so this one was first so this was the original people know the theme tune to yes minister don't they i don't know but yeah. you hear this and you think oh why? yes minister why is it why, not the why, other do you, why do i know the theme to yes minister but i don't know the theme to, to the man of born if it was the number <laughs> one program of the 1970s uh yeah i don't know I, but yeah but honestly i could the... i could not i could not hum the music to to the man of born because as soon as i try to st- start i'm going into yes minister <laughs> exactly well before we summarize there's one other thing i just i'd written a, as a note to, to talk the, i one comparator that i have was roll over beethoven oh which right. is yes. a sitcom i've been watching um quietly and basically the setup of rollover beethoven it stars nigel planer and lisa goddard and nigel planer is a rock star who buys the local manor 
Mm. And he moves in there. And much to the disgust of Lisa Goddard's father, who is, is, is kind of the, the Audrey Forbes Hamilton. Yeah. But that's slightly different. It's a, it's a few years later, but not that many years later. But obviously Nigel Planer is not just new money, but he's, he's an oik. You know, he's a rock star. And he's not trying to be part of their world, yeah. No, no, exactly. And that's why it's a very different dynamic. But, you know, the, without wanting to spoil Roy, Roll Over Beethoven for anyone, it ends with her and Lisa, her, sorry, Nigel Planer and Lisa Goddard getting together. So Lisa Goddard's the daughter of the Audrey Forbes Hamilton type character here. But I, I, yeah. I definitely think there was a comparison to be made there. When I, when I watched To the Manor Born, I kind of realized, I thought, well, yeah, they've obviously thought about To the Manor Born when they wrote Roll Over Beethoven. Right, yeah. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, if that's mm. your, if that's the audience's place for that world, yeah. that's what they're evoking. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. But you know, let's uh, let's summarize to the man of born. You know, I've quite enjoyed watching these episodes the last the last yeah. week. Sometimes some of the things that we've watched, it's been a right old slog, and this hasn't. No, I and I I watched them all. I like I watched the whole thing through, and actually, mm. it was quite an easy one to blast through. Like when when we did sorry, that was a trudge. Oh, to get yeah. through them but this this was yeah it was an easy watch yeah yes i think to the man of born is of its time but not in an unpleasant way not in a hashtag yeah. different times way like yeah. some episodes of rising damp are like till death has do part is i think it's more of a, of a different time in the sense that it's it's just a bygone world that doesn't really exist much anymore mm. the only real criticism i have of to the man of born is it's not all that funny, but it's all right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not. It's not dreadful. It's not. It's not unfunny in the sense that oh my god, these jokes are falling flat. It's just very mild. It's just very mild yeah. humour. And deliberately and that's all so. Right. Yeah. That's fine. It's that's a, what it's, it's setting out sun, to do. It's a Sunday evening level yeah. of humour. Yeah. I can't handle too much comedy on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done my homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comedy. You can do your homework too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look, my my summary is: I like it. I like it. It's not great. It's not brilliant. It's not laugh out loud funny, but it's fine. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about it and it was fine. Yeah, I agree. It was fine. And the, there's there's the odd bits that just make me bristle uh, a little bit. Mm. And Brabinger seems to be at the heart of that. And then there's obviously a few things that are just like, oh yeah, well, it's a different time. But it, that, that feels like having a butler is a different time. But yeah, it was already a hundred years out of date. <laughs> but that's just yeah. my kind of... That's because I'm not in that world, you know? Sure. Uh, and uh, that's interesting enough just to see that from a different point of view. But but yeah, mildly amusing, gently humorous, nice performances uh, generally. And Penelope Keith is is fantastic. And I think she... Uh, Penelope Keith's one of those people like, yeah, I think I know her from The Good Life. And I'm I've because I've been watching clips of her and other stuff, I'm getting a, a greater appreciation for her. And like she actually, mm. I, I've seen her do different things and, and, and interesting things. And she's a character funny rather than caricature funny, if that makes sense. Yes. So I'm getting a bit of appreciation for her. Hashtag late review. <laughs> <laughs> Penelope <laughs> Keith, quite good. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we have discussed To The Manor Born. If you have any thoughts or comments you'd like to make, do get in touch. We are on the social medias, at BritcomPod. That's Twitter and Instagram. We are, have a Facebook group. What's that called, Gareth? Just the British Sitcom History Podcast. If you put that into the search bar, you'll find us. Yeah, and search for us on YouTube as well. You can find all our podcasts with video accompaniments and some extra video stuff up there as well. Thank you very much for listening. And next week, we'll be doing a little bit of politics. 
as we will be taking on Rick Mayle in The New Statesman. We'll be winding the Thatcherism clock forward a couple more years. <laughs> yes. So do join us for that next time. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.